Welcome everybody to this episode of Midweek Matinee. We are discussing House of 1000 Corpses, directed by Rob Zombie. So this was my choice this week, so I will be your host. This is Blake speaking. Joshua, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing really well. I'm just wondering if if Rob Zombie became zombified, would he be Rob the Zombie, or would we still call him Rob Zombie, but just put a comma after Rob? It's just, <laughs> This is the stuff that keeps me up at night. <laughs> I like Rob the Zombie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about you, Chris? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How you doing, Blake? Good, good. What about you, Brett? How you doing? I'm doing well. I would also like to point out that you called it House of 1000 Corpses, almost like it's the proper name. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, when people are like, ah, this that's just Bill, but then they get around and they're like, oh, no, that's William. <laughs> It's How like, would no, you this say isn't it? House of a Thousand. This isn't House oh, a of a thousand. thousand Corpses. This is House of One Thousand Corpses. It's the number, right. so it's One Thousand, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what the title um, says. Yeah, look, exactly. Look. You said A Thousand. How many thousands? <laughs> Could there be Four Thousand Corpses? What about Eight Thousand Corpses? Wait, did I look, say One Thousand or Eight Thousand? I don't even know now. You, you said <laughs> One Thousand. I will just tell you that around my area, I've never heard someone call it House of One Thousand Corpses. That's what I've always called it. That's what the movie's called. I've only ever heard it referred to as House of a Thousand Corpses. Where in the Sam Hill South are you from? (laughs) You know what? Blake counted them, okay? (laughs) Look, I'm from a podunk area. You don't worry about it. And I ain't going to bother you. Do you think I need to get me some education? (laughs) (laughs) I guess as someone from Georgia, I can't really speak, huh? (laughs) Yeah, your state's doing just rock solid right now. Yeah, that's true. You also don't have any room to talk. <laughs> I'm very proud of my governor, okay, guys? So calm down a little bit. Uh, I grew right, up in so. Vegas, so I can't talk shit either. <laughs> well, I guess we could hop into themes, because I think there's some very strong themes in this movie. <laughs> I couldn't even say it without laughing. <laughs> I would love to hear your take. Strong veto. I, I think I know the theme. The theme is random chaos. <laughs> That's actually a very good one. <laughs> but no, so I know me and Brett have seen this movie before, and I believe Chris and Joshua is both y'all's first time, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. So we could start out with Joshua, I guess. What did you think of the movie overall? I legitimately really enjoyed it, honestly. I knew it. I knew he was going <laughs> to watch the fucking movie. <laughs> so this is really interesting, though, because for, for anyone who doesn't have the context around it, we've been having internal discussions, and I think we even mentioned at the end of the last episode uh, when we were saying that the next movie was going to be House of uh, a Thousand Corpses. Sorry, I can't change my vernacular <laughs> at this point. Uh, but Josh was just so much like, I don't know if I could do it. Here we so, go. Uh, I legitimately enjoyed it. So... Yes, I'm just um, so happy right now. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually happy as well because I think this is what we all wanted from you, Blake, when we were like, so did you like Spirited Away? And you're like, eh? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's like, did you like a, a, a movie that's in a, a, a subgenre that you don't typically care for? <laughs> nah, not at all. And then Josh is over here just embracing the world. Like, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Legitimately. Oh my God. <laughs> Gee, well, Chris. So uh, about it, Joshua. So you did enjoy it, huh? 
Yeah, I, I guess to provide just the shortest context possible, generally I don't go for like gory films just because it's like I tend to empathize really heavily with whatever I'm watching. So it's like I'm watching it happen to like people I really care about. So it's like, especially when it's like prolonged scenes of just graphic violence, I'm just like, Ugh, like I feel it. Um, yeah, sure. But yeah, so that's why I tend to avoid it because it's just a really intensely negative experience for me to watch. But uh, I think very early on what helped me just like get into this movie was like Rob Zombie makes it a super stylized like fucking middle of nowhere like zombie hillbilly fest and it's like in the best way like it's I don't know it feels like I'm listening to a Rob Zombie album and it's like it's just a cool mixture of like different influences and it's like I I like that the editing is really unorthodox and sometimes it doesn't even make sense but it's like you know what fuck it this is so its own thing it doesn't have to like conform to any expectations otherwise it's just Mm. like it's very unique it does its thing and it really owns that so while there are moments that i'm sure we'll get to that like by normal criteria would be kind of weak it's like some for whatever reason this movie makes it work so i i really enjoyed it yeah for sure i pretty much agree with everything you said um so chris i think you might be the only dissenting opinion (laughs) wonderful (laughs) what's your take on the movie (laughs) so okay so i don't vehemently hate this movie like i hate something like the Belko experiment but <laughs> is that is I, that going to be brought up every episode yeah because it, it makes me question whether i want to be involved with you guys t minus seven episodes since the Belko experiment jesus uh, if it's not if it's not the Belko experiment it's red dead redemption right red dead redemption i mean yeah fuck red dead redemption fuck blake i'm liking red dead redemption. wait, wait w- one or two Oh, Red Dead Redemption 2 is bad. Red Dead Redemption 1 is good for the time. <laughs> Hot You're wrong, but Chris Figs. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think this movie nails every single thing that it was trying to do, and I hated every single thing that it was trying to do. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's a very interesting sentence, and I, lo- I love it. That's the best way I can put it. Because I'm watching this movie, and I think by the ending, I had this that look on my face like, all right, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and it, that didn't go away. I like, actually, the ending was probably the best part of the movie. So we disagree somewhere. For me, that's... <laughs> oh, wow. Look at that. Can you believe it? But yeah, other than that, I was kind of just taken aback by how annoyed the movie kind of made me <laughs> <laughs> well you know the the thing about this for people like uh for people who are first viewing this like you and uh josh is that the ending while not being the most surprising thing in the world clearly uh there is a little bit of kind of like a m night Shyamalan <clears throat> light where it's like twist <laughs> motherfucker captain spaulding was in on it the whole time yeah <laughs> and when you've never watched it i feel like the movie does a pretty good job of throwing the trail of, off of captain spaulding hair mm-hmm. like to make you kind of and initially you think oh well, of course he'd be part of this and despite who he is as a person as the movie introduces him you still have that moment when things start going down where it's like you know what? Maybe he's not involved in it just for the movie to kind of come back around and be like, nah, he was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a couple of twists. One, especially, I don't know if tone is the right word, but like it almost changes subgenres of horror 
towards the end, which is why I don't really yeah. like the end a whole lot. Uh, we can get into that later. But first, uh, Brett, why don't you tell us how you felt about the film? So the last time I watched this movie, I'm pretty sure I was 14. Uh, so it's been a long time, 12 years. And I may have been between 14 and 16, but I'm going to say 14. That sounds about right. Uh, and I remember the first time I watched it, uh, I was really big in the Rob Zombie music-wise anyway. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and check this out to see what I'm dealing with here. Because I didn't watch it when it came out, uh, even though my dad did because... He loved mm. Rob Zombie as well. So coming back to it, uh, I was actually a little surprised. I actually think as much as I liked it back then, I think I actually appreciate more of the movie now. And I see it for a little bit more of the unique thing that it is. And to kind of mirror off of something that Josh said, uh, said about it is that it's so unique in such a crazy way that the way I kind of wanted to word it is like, of course, this is Rob Zombie's first movie and first real take into dealing with a movie. But that lack of experience means very little because he has such a strong vision from a directorial standpoint mm -hmm. that everything just comes together, even if on its own it would be weak in anything else, just like Josh said. It's like somehow the movie makes its weak parts somehow still come into it and be like, but it works within, within the context of this film. Yeah. And that's a really big, it's to the credit of the movie that he's able to pull that off. And this goes towards something I talk about in a lot of mediums, but I feel like it's really a great thing when people who are known for work in one medium cross into another because they bring a different perspective. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times they can break rules that otherwise people would be like, well, that's just not what you're supposed to do. And they go, well, I don't know any different, so I did it anyway. And sometimes you get really interesting takes that are either good, bad, or at the very least just interesting and unique. And I think a lot of what this movie does, regardless of if you feel it's good or bad, is just unique. And it seems like that's what the movie's trying to do. So like Fig said, it's like everything the movie sets out to do, it nails, regardless of whether you like it. Yeah, before I forget it, one of the things that Josh also said that I don't normally really have to a like a crippling effect, the, the empathy toward characters, uh, but I do know at least where he's coming from. When a movie, when horror movies do a good job of setting up a person and then something happens to them that's very grotesque, it, it is a little like, it's not that it's, I, it doesn't hit me, I think, the same way as Josh was describing. But I get the inner emotion, and I think that's part of what the movie's trying to evoke, right? But one of the things I kind of like about this movie is that the way that it was done, you don't really know a lot about the characters, but the the movie kind of sets it up to where it doesn't overly let you know too much about the, the characters so that when these things happen, you don't have a heightened level of empathy. You just have the basic level of, well, obviously I wouldn't want that to happen to me, so this sucks. Yeah. But outside of that, it's kind of like the movie does a little bit to kind of give these characters like, you know, the, the girl's obviously jealous and calling them. And of course, the family's crazy, but, you know, she's calling her a whore and all these crazy things, which sure, but they're clearly not perfect people either. And I like that because some other horror movies will try and do this thing where it's like this uh, perfect little person was just 
negatively attacked or they comically go into it where it's like they're clearly the worst people and then they get kind of what's coming to them Mm -hmm. and i feel like this movie sits squarely in the middle of that and that aids a lot in the empathy not overly driving you away from wanting to watch it but also not being completely gone from like well look at these assholes who completely got what they deserved so yeah yeah i think that rob zombie does a good job of making you feel more for the bad guys in this movie than the good guys. And I don't mean that you cheer on the bad guys, that you want them to kill people. But, you know, I wrote down in my notes, you know, at the beginning when they first, when the good guys, they get into the house, the Firefly family's house, they're really rude and, like, kind of disrespectful, you know? And at that time, like, the family's weird, but nothing bad has happened yet. You know, if anything, they're taking care of them. Mm -hmm. And so... I think it does a good job of making you not give a fuck whether they die or not. Like you said, sure. Brett, you know. Yeah, I think the movie's very intentionally making you want to side you, with the Firefly it, family. Well, with that, and then I'll shut up, uh, but it's I, I'm glad that you said that because I feel like Rob Zombie does that in most of his movies. The only movies I've yet to see from him is, of uh, course, Lords of Salem, uh, and I haven't yet got to watch Brief of Hell, and I really want to watch both of those. I just haven't had a chance, which hopefully we'll get there in this podcast. But uh, I feel like he did that to great effect in many of his movies, but the other one that comes immediately to mind that I remember liking a lot was his take on Halloween, the first one. And then I feel like he lost all that somehow, some way. And there's been some talk about studio meddling and stuff, but the second movie really loses that. So I think when Rob Zombie's left to his own devices, he does a really good job Mm. at setting those kind of things up. But also, it's going to be the weirdest sentence in the world, but what you just described about the early scene when they're kind of being rude and disrespectful despite nothing too strange happening. Of course, like they're, they're just a generally strange family, but they're not being inhospitable or anything. It reminds me of the scene in Harold and Kumar go to White <laughs> Castle <laughs> where they go to the guy who's, and it's more funny because I feel like it's inspired by this movie, but I don't know because he's a tow truck driver who's kind of deformed. He takes him back to his house in the middle of nowhere. Turns out that they're brother and sister and fucking, and he's like, you can fuck my <laughs> wife or whatever. I don't think they're actually brother and sister, but it's something crazy. I know that much. <laughs> I know what scene you're talking about, but I just haven't seen it in so long. I can't really recall the details, but I feel what you're saying for sure. Joshua, yeah. I know you, um, or at least it sounded like you wanted to say something a minute ago. My uh, thought on the whole, like how we see the family and the group of people from the car presented and like the whole ambiguity of like who you really side with. I totally agree with the general assessment of it. I think at the dinner table is where it started to kind of a little bit cross the line from weird to like, we might need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It reminded me of resident evil, uh, the seventh one, which obviously came way, way after and probably was pulling (laughs) from this, honestly, Mm -hmm. but it's the kind of thing where it's like the family is not being, intentionally off-putting but it's still the kind of like atmosphere that's like generally not hospitable to like normal people because it's just so fucking weird but yeah but you know tiny can't help that i guess (laughs) i'm glad you brought up resident evil 7 because that is a very close analog to the baker family dinner scene Mm -hmm. and yeah i do agree that the dinner scene was kind of the turning point to where it went from hey this is fucking strange to like hey this might be hostile (laughs) especially (laughs) when otis comes down with like the gun in his pants and then the uh baby in the jar (laughs) Mm -hmm. what you mean your Uh, uncle never brings out the baby in the jar during family dinner (laughs) no i can't say that ever happened (laughs) 
you know, we were talking, we were making the joke about themes, but I do feel like there is a little bit of an underlying theme, though, of course, it's not like it's trying to really do anything. But I feel like part of what the movie does at the beginning, whether on purpose or inadvertently, is kind of goes back to that don't judge a book by its cover situation. Kind of like that just because you think something's strange doesn't mean it's actually strange. And it's like the tonal shift in the way that they were reacting towards the family, Mm. despite, again, up to that point, the family really being more or less hospitable and helping them. Uh, It says a lot of like, you know, as they see Tiny, as they see the baby in the jar, it's like they're... They're not even trying to hide their disgust. (laughs) So, Mm. again, it comes to that thing of like, not to say that the movie would have played out differently necessarily, but there is kind of a hint in the movie that's like, if they would have reacted different to all the situations, would the same thing have happened? You know, whenever later in the movie, uh, the mother goes in to kiss, uh, I can't remember his name, (laughs) but uh, kiss the guy who is still alive. who she was kind of flirting on when she was in the couch. She mm-hmm. was like, we could we could have, you know, I think we could have had a lot of fun and been something special. It, it kind of gives you the idea that if, if they would have reacted differently, maybe they actually would have gotten out of this alive. But the movie also kind of makes you think that regardless of what happened, this was probably the outcome. But sure. who knows? I mean, especially because, like, it starts off with, like, RJ unprovoked shooting their tire out. So, mm-hmm. So you know the guy you're talking about. I'm trying to. I'm looking up his name real quick because I'm really bad with character names as well. It's um, his name is Jerry. Jerry. That's <laughs> he was correct, played yes. by Chris Hardwick. Oh my god! I didn't even realize that until you yeah. just said it. Yeah, he looks so different with the long hair. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Did not okay. recognize him. So I want to do something a little different here and. I want to ask what everyone thought about the family. You know, you don't have to talk about every individual member, but especially some of the major members um, or just your Mm -hmm. overall feelings because I think they were one of the biggest parts of the movie, if not basically the whole movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Brett, what about you? What do you think of the Firefly family as a whole or individually? Yeah, I I think it's really hard to speak of them separately because of the fact that they kind of – the movie kind of reinforces that they are a, basically a singular entity working together. So I, I, I do think that the movie does a lot to make them kind of the primary lens at which you're kind of viewing everything through, which is weird because it sets it up as if you're going to be seeing everything through the lens of the, the our four college graduates or whatever it is uh poor children (laughs) (laughs) but it's interesting because i think that they all have a personality trait that makes them very annoying but somehow in some very weird way they come off mildly charismatic and like charming mm-hmm. i don't really know how to describe it it's weird sure and, and i mean of course some of it's things that you'd expect like of course baby is very attractive but she's got her little you know eh, kind of voice where it's just piercing and shrill <laughs> you sounded just but, like her <laughs> <laughs> but somehow she kind of owns it yeah and i think it goes back to what josh was saying of like even things that seem like they would be weird and anything else somehow in this context they seem to somehow work as a strength 
And I don't quite understand that because I feel that about everyone. Even so, even the characters like Tiny has so much going on about him that I find really interesting. And if I'm going to bring up anybody in particular, it is Tiny. I feel like Tiny works within the family just because it's kind of like his his role. But he's not as dedicated to it as everyone else is. And the main reason I kind of say that is there's a lot of moments in the movie where you kind of see him begrudgingly doing what he's doing. And then when he's not, when there's no expectations around him, he acts slightly differently. Like when the girl's like, would you please let me go? And he's eating a cereal and like nonchalantly, he cereal. just unties her. I don't know what, what kind of was. fucking cereal, cereal do you eat? It was dog food. Obviously. <laughs> it looks so much like wet dog food or cat food to me. Oh no, it looks terrible, but the box <laughs> made it imply that it was some really gross cereal. <laughs> no, no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> uh, but I, I love that scene. Cause it's like, she's like, will you please let me go? And he's just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And I, it sounds weird, but he's like, in a, in the craziest way, I could kind of see if they chose to. It wouldn't seem that out of left field if suddenly he became like the, uh, what what's the name in, uh, it's been a long time since I've watched it, even though I love it, um, the the Goonies, is it Chonk or whatever? Oh, man, I think so. The, the, the Hey You Guys, dude. <laughs> it's like, if suddenly Tiny were to just like completely pivot, and help all the characters escape it wouldn't have blown my mind and it, I, I would have liked it but it wouldn't have seemed out of character from what we had known about him so far and that makes him a really interesting character yeah even though he has so he has no dialogue very little and like he's not even shown a lot in the movie but somehow he's like the he's the potential breaking point for the movie if they ever tried to give that to him but they don't quite but he does have some weird somber moments in comparison to other ones. And maybe it's just because of his disfigurement. But like when he's putting the mask on the girl's face after she gets stabbed, there's like a, I don't know, it's like a solemnness to him. And like kind of a, like he doesn't really want it. He didn't want it to have gone this way, but mm. he's just begrudgingly doing it because it's family. Yeah, I can see that. They're a really interesting unit. Uh, I will say the scene, uh, and the, this is the only scene in the movie that I couldn't watch was Tiny eating the dog food. That was the only <laughs> scene I couldn't watch in this movie. I was like, this is so fucking gross. gross. <laughs> it was so interesting. And the way he's it was so away. Oh, man. I, I guess that's what's the difference. I couldn't look away. I was like, was, dude, he's just like going to town, doesn't give a shit what's going on around him. I feel so bad for the actor who had to like literally eat dog food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It was so wet. And you could, you could hear how wet it was. And that was so gross to me. And like it was missing his mouth almost entirely. Uh, yeah. It's grossing me out <laughs> right now. It's getting all over the place. <laughs> like I'm one of those people who hates a certain word. And that scene made me feel how I feel when I hear that word. What word? I, I don't, I'm not saying the fucking word. You think I'm going to actually do that? What are you, crazy? <laughs> Voice. You got quiet. I think that's it. <laughs> I definitely heard what you said, but I'm not going to acknowledge if it's correct or not. I will neither <laughs> confirm nor deny. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, so that scene was disgusting. <laughs> so overall, Chris, what do you think of the Firefly, fi- Firefly family? I do not know why I cannot say that tonight. <laughs> Firefly. Or, you know, the individual member- members. So <laughs> uh, I thought they were all definitely really interesting. Um, I really liked Otis the best. But I couldn't take him as seriously as I wanted to because he's what I imagine a 
90s TV show Geralt would look like. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't fucking handle it the whole show. I'm like, grunge Geralt. If this is, but that's the thing. If, if Henry Cavill in that show looked more like this, I would understand why the townspeople can't stand him and don't want to look at him. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, that's Henry Cavill. Like, let's, yeah. not, let's not make any bones about what that man looks like. And, and so that was where I got with him. Um, and I think the other character I really liked was the, I think it was the grandfather mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where he just reminded me of like Ron white without the talent. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really liked him. And I kind of, I was kind of on uh, I guess Billy's side where I'm like, this guy's fucking hilarious. Oh, Jerry's side. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry. Um, I'm glad you brought up the, I, I was going to but i was like i'll just let somebody else talk but i'm glad you brought up the grandpa because one of the things i really loved about the show <clears throat> about the movie so rather is um the scene where otis and the grandfather are watching the monsters because mm-hmm. i'm like th- their family is kind of just a really fucked up take on the monster on the monsters yeah it's like if you took the monsters and actually made them villainous and evil instead of what they were so i found it funny that they were like watching that because to me it showed that the family was supposed to be at least a a sick twisted version of that basic idea what i really liked about that scene is he just goes oh what a fucked up family Like, my man. <laughs> it kind of goes back to, since you mentioned it, I want to go back a little bit where you where we were talking about the show. And I will say, I think the show is when everything really turned around. Um, and once, you know, I don't remember her name. So Jealous Bitch put her hands <laughs> on Baby. That's when mm-hmm, I was like, yeah. oh, you guys are going to die. Like, before, yeah. I wasn't really sure. I was, like, pretty sure that, like, they might have been able to get out of there. I was like, mm-hmm. how is this going to turn around? And then I'm like, the second that jealous bitch pushed baby on the floor, I was like, "Okay, you're all gonna fucking die." Yeah. <laughs> like you just killed everybody because so, she was sitting on his lap. I think the dinner party is where it turned around, kind of for the the four like people, and then I think the like you said, the show is where it turned around for the family. Mm. So I think the dinner parties will push the other guys into thinking like this is kind of fucked up. And um, I think the show is where they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna fucking kill these people." Yeah. <laughs> well. So one of the things Josh said that that I don't know why I'm talking like Sean Connery. I don't know why I keep saying Shan for some reason. Uh, a game is a foot. <laughs> but um, one of the things that Josh said was about Rufus shooting the tire out, which does it's the one scene that makes it really hard to contextualize what the goal in getting them to the house was. Was it just to get guests over? Was it is it like something weird like that where it's like a family that's secluded and only deals within themselves, wanted someone else around? Uh, was the goal always for them to fall prey and be used in the fashion that they were? It's it it, it is really hard because those scenes make you think that these things are going to happen. Like okay, yeah, you know the, the 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 four you know I don't know what you really would call them. They're not really the protagonists, but whatever. Uh, you know, our four victims as they were. Um. <laughs> They turn at the dinner, but like you're talking about, the show is kind of the moment where, at least as the audience viewer, you're like, oh, that's probably when the family decided that it was over. But I don't know. It kind of just, there's like this underlying sinister feeling that it's like this was always the attention, like intention yeah. behind the family's moves, regardless of how things. See, and now, and now it's more because I'm just thinking about it. And I almost want to say that, like, I feel like everything up to the show was kind of part of the tour. Um, yeah. 
you know, they left the murder museum mm-hmm. and were sent straight there by, I can't remember his name, but the guy. Spalding. Well, Captain Spalding, dude. Captain what Spalding. The fuck? It's like the most memorable the name out in the of whole here. movie. All right, bro. I don't <laughs> like this movie. So let's, you know. <laughs> um, but they're sent there by Captain Spalding. And I, it almost feels to me like the show was kind of like, okay, the tour is over. You saw the super weird shit. You made it through here, and it was kind of like they made it through the murder tour. So Spalding sent them, and Uh-oh. I feel almost like if they'd made it through the next murder tour, they probably they might have been able to make it out. <clears throat> but I could just be contextualizing kinda something like a, that kind of like a bonus clearly. chapter, like oh shit, you yeah. beat the main game, homie. Here you go, epilogue. Right. <laughs> yeah, because why Dude. else are they putting on that show? You know, other than I think that's just what they do on Halloween. It's part of their Halloween yeah. celebration, which I yeah, think leads I think so well. leads some credence to what Brett said about them kind of just wanting company. Because my other thing was they still had like, what, three or four cheerleaders alive to torture and kill. So they didn't really need these four people. Like, mm. you know what I mean? So maybe it was just to get them as like some company for Halloween for celebration. And then like shit just took a bad turn during the show and she pushed baby and so that's when they decided to kill him. You know, I, you know, we're all just yeah. kind of guessing here, but that's my take on it at least. Yeah, I would, I would totally buy that. So here's the one thing again. That there's so many little details in this, which actually I really like. When you start to kind of add up at all the things that are happening within the timeline, it's like, well, again, you're left with a little bit of like, I feel like it was always going to happen. Uh, so you know, the the show happens, and old girl pushes baby. Then Rufus comes in. The car's done. Uh, and then the mom's like, I think you should leave. Uh, they get in the car. And right when they get out to where they need to be, who's hanging up like a scarecrow just waiting? Mm-hmm. Otis. And who comes out with a pumpkin or whatever the hell it was on his head, ready to do the bidding of his family? Tiny. It just seems like all the timing was too impeccable. Like it was always planned to be this way. It's it's so hard to escape that, even though the movie kind of lures you into this false sense of like, oh, well, they're not going to kill him. They were going to let him go. Yeah. Which I feel like it's probably what the the goal was is like to give the audience like a like maybe they'll make it out of here yeah, yeah for sure but, but it's just like even though of course you know it's a horror movie they're never gonna make it out I was just gonna say yeah the final girl you know a lot of horror movies have like the one person that survives and this one they kind of subvert that by having Otis in the back seat at the end mm-hmm. so even that you know it's like like you said another twist but Joshua what did you think of the family overall or individually. I, I really dug them for all the same reasons you guys have listed. I, I definitely think, you know, it, it's cool seeing that they're not just like one dimensional characters for you to go Ugh, at. They have interesting motivations sometimes. And it's it's really like th- there's a lot of elements of their individual personalities that I think are reminiscent of people that you encounter in real life, especially with Otis. I don't know. There's something very familiar about someone who thinks they're too smart for their own good. But them yeah. thinking that is the root of most of their problems. And his just whole, like, you know, pained intellectual thing that he's got going on. And he's like, I need to do this because it's like, there's calcifying over my brain. And it's like, whatever it is. And it's like, you know, I, I feel like we, we all know somebody like that who's just like, I don't know what kind of shit you're on, but like, whatever, dude. <laughs> he's prophesizing with like that our bodies fade, but this, this blood, blood is, is forever. forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's yeah, but- like the guy who quotes random poetry when it's not even like pertinent <laughs> to anything. Yeah. So he can seem deep. Uh, hashtag fake deep. But yeah, his whole, Otis had a lot of interesting stuff going on. Honestly, like that was the character that I was most just like, 
paying attention to when he was in the scenes because he had a lot of interesting like I don't know it was just like an interesting character but yeah I, I enjoyed that argument with the grandfather where the grandfather was like you know you want to see drive and put me behind the wheel and he's like you can't drive and it's just like that's such a <laughs> dumb like family argument that like I'm yeah. sure we've all seen countless instances of that where it's just like why are you guys bickering you're just like bored but yeah so I, I for all the same reasons honestly like I, I enjoyed that under these incredibly you know evil fucked up haunted house vibes there could be something that feels like just familiar and like you know in true use of that word like it feels like a family and it feels like they're dysfunctional but they you know they make it work i don't know (laughs) it oddly grounds them like in a very weird way and kind of a twisted take on it but yeah it's like it gives it, it humanizes them and grounds them in a way that makes them somehow more believable yeah so they're not just caricatures exactly like like that was what uh to like to blake's point it made me more interested in like you know when when the group of like college students or whatever uh would overstep i would also kind of feel for the family because it's like well yeah they're weird but i mean i don't know they're trying like you know (laughs) you did show up to their house uninvited on you know a big night for them and they're being kind of cool about it so I don't know. Well, well, they picked up Baby, who they were taking home. So it wasn't totally uninvited, but yeah, you're right. Like, mm. they were fucking assholes for no reason in the beginning. They didn't know <laughs> that they were, like, fucking dead bodies upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, who does? Nobody. You can't guess that. Why would you guess that? <laughs> <laughs> I, if that's I mean, your first thought with somebody, you really should get the fuck out of there. <laughs> If I okay, so being fair, walking up to that house, that totally would have been my guess. Like, if I see a house like that, I'm not walking. Baby in. dolls nailed to the walls, <laughs> yeah. like, to the to the outside <laughs> siding. Yeah, but like, I don't know, some weird shits going on here, guys. I just <laughs> I feel it in my bones. So I guess we could move into um, just some of the our favorite or even least favorite scenes that we had in the movie. You know, just yes. what you enjoyed the most. So Joshua, you sound very excited. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and go first, buddy? So. uh Right off the bat, as soon as uh, we get to the gas station and they're they're waking up the girls in the back of the car, and actually even before that, when it's uh when it's the robbers at a uh, at fucking Spalding's uh <laughs> you know like register and they're holding him up and stuff, and just like the total disparity between Sid Haig giving like a legitimately iconic performance and these guys giving like. A, an all-time D-tier 2000s horror movie performance is fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, I, I love how bad they are, and somehow it makes me enjoy what's happening more, and it almost feels like Captain Spaulding is, like... It feels like on two levels, like, it, it's... And, and I'm not trying to make this, like, a fucking deep thing or whatever. Like, it just feels like his reacting to them, not taking them seriously, is so perfect for just, like, how much better his performance is, and it just... For whatever reason, it really works in that scene, and I just loved the fuck <laughs> out of that whole scene. Yeah, because you you don't take them serious as well, so it gives you like a connecting point to Captain Spaulding weirdly. Yeah. yeah. Also, shout out to that moment for the old guy who's just like, "Oh yeah, your little dick." W- w- you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's rolling with it. I, I I don't I don't know why that's weird, but I almost liked him more than I like Captain Spaulding because he's just has all these dumbass stories, goes to the bathroom, somebody comes yeah. and pulls him out of the bathroom and he's just like, oh, you got a gun in my face? Aren't you just, uh, don't you work at the hardware store, little dick? <laughs> <laughs> and then he sings a little song or some shit. I don't yeah, remember what he's yeah. saying, but it was so good. <laughs> uh, man. Um, but yeah, that and uh, the same with like, 
I, I have like a soft spot for Rain Wilson, obviously, but that whole group of characters had a very similar like. I felt like I was watching Scream almost, where it was just like iconically bad performances, but that endeared it to me. Like I, I enjoyed it more because of that. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Brett? Do you have any favorite or least favorite scenes of the movie? So there is no least favorite scene. There's a lot of scenes in this movie that are just they they really stick with you in a in the craziest of ways and that's why it's kind of hard i mean i'll give a shout out to blake uh, to blake to josh's mention rather uh, i think the, as a whole the opening of the movie is just super memorable like there's yeah. no there's nothing about it that is forgettable and that's so interesting and because it does something that a lot of movies don't do anymore so watching it in retrospect is kind of even more cool of like you have all that then you have your intro scene where a lot of movies front load your intro title scene you know your title card and it's like this movie gives you some meat and potatoes before it even worries about being like oh by the way you're watching this fucking movie mm-hmm. and I, I know that's weird but i just really liked it they and i guess it's also just because of how disparate where it is at before the title card and an intro theme to where it's at after the intro theme. And also the intro theme is so long. It's like the movie's just doing its own thing. It's like, like he inter- talked about. interlaced his whole music video just in the middle <laughs> of the movie. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, you know, we had that song called House of a Thousand Corpses. Let's just slap that whole bitch in there. It really does fit the video, the movie really well, though. <laughs> yeah. It does. That's, it's crazy. But um, there's a couple of, I guess, a small moment that I really like that I, I don't know why I feel like it just fits the tone of the movie so early on is uh when billy and jerry are in the car and they're talking about whether or not he put gas in it and he's like i can't see do you you, you, sorry i can't see in the night and then he perfectly reads the billboard (laughs) that made me laugh and then (laughs) right after that he looks away and there's that little short clip of a billboard that says uh if you lived here you'd be home by now and i don't know why (laughs) that cracked me the fuck up it just (laughs) did I saw it and I was like, ah, that's great. Uh, But a more serious scene that I just really thought was strong and just, I don't know why, it just gave me that chilling thing is when Otis is walking down the stairs after cutting off the the face of the girl's dad who came looking for her and he's saying the crazy shit and the family's like, who's your daddy? And then he just gets down (laughs) to the girl and there's something that, it's like because she's been so mentally broken down, when she actually looks and says daddy there's actually like a there's a part of me that i'm not sure if she at the before the the move closer if she was actually sure that that wasn't really her dad oh she thought it was yeah yes exactly so she you know she's gone through all this mental anguish and just physical anguish too at that point and all this stuff goes on and she sees something that's so comforting to her yeah and it's just not what she thought it was. Like, I don't know why. It's like, it's one of those things where it's, to me, there's all these gruesome scenes of like, what's gruesome about it has nothing to do with the fact that he skinned a man. It has to do with the fact of the mental, the the further mental damage and the just complete disregard and disrespect for her as an individual to yeah. do that. It It does technically introduce one problem that I do not like. Uh, is it's a plot hole it is never said in any way shape or form or implied to the family that that is her dad they have no way to know that and yet they do that scene uh, well, that's about the only that's one of the few parts of the movies that i didn't I, I, for as far as i could tell i couldn't see anything that would let them know that it was her dad didn't the uh older cop talk to 
the mom didn't he say something about they're missing for a looking they're looking for a missing girl or something yeah but i guess maybe because the scene never actually uh, there was never a scene that it never actually said, said it, yeah like we have her dad with us right now you know what i mean yeah no that's fair well what's up chris no because i thought when if Sp- <clears throat> spalding is involved and i'm pretty sure when they went to spalding they told him that this is her father and we're looking for his daughter this is your his daughter so to me it would just mean that he told them did he show you know? spalding yeah, a picture be. of the man i'm the man, he, the the dad man was with them at Spalding's. No, he wasn't. That was before they I'm, met up with him. I'm pretty sure he was. No, it was before because they picked him up after. Okay, yes. I'm wrong. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Well, so, even, it's okay. Even before that, when she was calling home, she kept being like, "Oh, I got to call my dad," and then it shows the phone ringing on the other end and him picking up. Right, but the family didn't know. We did, but the family, the Firefly, Firefly family. God damn it. <laughs> Like I said, it's a small thing, and I ultimately don't think it really detracts from the movie too much, but it, it does kind of go to that thing of like oftentimes horror movies are bad about plot holes for the sake of doing something for a, for a shock factor. And don't get me wrong, that moment is shock factor to the damn T. I mean, it's, it's a really disturbing moment. It's just <laughs> that little detail. It'd be even more perfect if there was just a little scene acknowledging that the family had been made aware that, that was her father. And I know that's a weird thing to ask, but it's just without it, it feels like it's just trying to do it for a shock value. And yeah, it is, but you can also write a story that supports shock value. This is totally grasping at straws, but and this is this will correlate to my favorite scene in the movie too, so we can get that out of the way. But whenever the Otis is uh, pointing the gun at the cop. And it like zooms out for a long time and it's really quiet. Maybe they were having a conversation there because it was playing music, right? Kind of like lowly in the background. It was silent during the long pullout, which is also a great scene. Uh, but one thing that technically could, if you wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt, is that before the editing process of adding music over the scene when he's walking up to the cop, before he actually gets down on his knees, yeah. Otis is clearly talking to him, but we do not get to hear any of it because it's the right. whole scene is just blaring with a very interesting song choice that uh, really adds to the moment. So... Yeah, I mean, you could say that maybe it was going to be addressed and somewhere in editing they decided to cut it. Yeah. But when you're already dealing with a relatively short movie at 88 minutes long, I think you can add 20 seconds to give me something to show that there was a reason he knew to do that. Yeah, it's still a plot hole. Like, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to think of maybe, like, when it would have happened, you know, in the context of the movie. I don't know. And essentially, it's just a disconnect. That's what more than a more than a plot hole. It's really a disconnect. It's just something that m- manages to take me out of a movie that I was otherwise incredibly engrossed in. Mm-hmm. So there's one other thing I did notice that maybe it'll help. Is that you know maybe the family assumed that oh this dad came with the cops. They're looking for somebody here, so they didn't know it was her. Um, father and then when she says because I, I feel like she said daddy before he was on her you know so that's kind of why they he reverted over to her but i could be misremembering the scene it's like he goes straight into her face and says it so it feels very pointed uh but i mean you know that is yeah, i thought the same. that is ultimately a, a point of uh, opinion it could be a it could have been something that they did on purpose i mean th- there's no way to tell it is a very it's a small gripe but it's just something that i think would have made this movie even stronger for me personally so yeah for sure hmm. 
So what about you, Chris? What are some of your least favorite scenes? <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I do actually have some scenes I like in this movie. But since we just talked about it, I guess I'll spring this up where I had a different problem with that scene. And it's going to sound really dumb, but I had a problem with the fact that the skin suit was so perfect. Hmm. And it kind of threw me off where I'm like, how did he do all this in what? An hour? <laughs> where he skinned, treated, you know, uh, this skin so that he could wear it. And I don't know. <laughs> well, it, to me, it was like it clearly looked like a mask. Mm-hmm. And I, that kind of that kind of threw me off a little bit. He's I don't know. It kind of looked like he just like degloved the head. You know what I mean? Like cut around the skin, then just pull it and separated it from the scalp. I, that didn't bother me too much, really. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I felt like the rest of that kind of the rest of the scenes building up to it when it was kind of showing in a very zoomed in fashion, Otis getting ready upstairs. You see him like cutting the skin off and then like tying it to himself with like leather uh, rope. So I guess for a lot of it, it just seemed like it was, you know, the head is the part that kind of looked real interesting because it didn't really look perfect, but it clearly for someone in mental distress who is looking for the comfort of her father. Clearly she is, is the whole movie. She's always like, well, I need to call my dad. They can, I mean, if nothing else, it's like clearly her father's an important person to her. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it adds to that layer of what Josh was talking about with Otis as being a very interesting character because it, it, the weird thing about him is like the way that the movie introduces Otis is almost like this. He kind of seems like he's like egomaniacal, but he's not actually capable of anything. But then yeah. as the movie continues to go on, it's like, no, he's actually really capable and very dark. And then I love that the movie kind of takes that turn where it's like when all this stuff is going on, he kind of like looks like the one who's spearheading it. Like he's wearing the robing, he's painted his face, mm-hmm. has the upside down cross. It's like it's like he's the patriarch of the family. Yeah. And it and the movie doesn't introduce him in a way that would make you think that. Yeah, that is an interesting turn. Um, and to its credit, as both like a, it was a surprise to me, and it's like I, I'm kind of ambivalent on it because in some ways it feels like a little bit more of a departure than makes sense, and in other ways I really enjoy it. Like that whole back, you know, twenty minutes of the movie feels so drastically different from like the while fucked up, still like grounded reality that we're living in versus like the yeah borderline it's it never goes fully into supernatural but like the especially with like dr satan and the professor it's like full-on like hellraiser shit i think it's very supernatural towards the end yeah and like i love those designs though i dude when they revealed and it's i had actually forgotten the dr satan thing like i knew he was in the movie but i forgot the way he looked and everything when the scene where they popped up and kind of showed him i was like that is sick looking that is absolutely amazing it just, I don't, man, shout out again to the, the vision for this movie. I mean, like mm. the art direction, really, I guess what you'd say that the visual director direction, it's just so damn strong throughout the yeah. whole movie. It's like, you can tell it's somebody who went into this where they, they wanted to make something and they knew what it was and as close as they could possibly get. And like, Dude, the professor, like the fucking sounds and just how imposing he is when he first walks out, like it's fucking terrifying. And I love it. Mm-hmm. It got it has like a little bit of a my bloody Valentine feel to it, you know? Mm. I really thought he looked like something out of uh Mad Max Fury Road. A I little bit yeah. Fury Road, sadly, but I could definitely oh, man, see God. it from what I've seen. 
uh, from what from the trailers and stuff I've seen. But it just really reminds me of the Underground Miner and technically both of the My Bloody Valentines, both the new one that had Jensen Ackles, if I'm not mistaken, and then the uh, the original one. So, ooh, I, I thought it was cool. I, Blake, actually, while we're on that, I wanted to talk. I mean, earlier I heard you say what I'm pretty sure is that you don't like the ending of the movie because of the yeah. genre switch up. To me, I guess it felt like a natural evolution because we get down to like this last surviving person. So it going this extra mile at that point. You also, I know that sounds weird, you also technically have this, uh, you, at that point, I feel like the movie really does switch to like you're seeing the majority of it at that point through the lens of the singular girl who's had a lot of mental damage. So it goes back to something we've talked about in plenty of other movies where you start to not really even know if what you're seeing is true. Because it's like, if we're supposed to be kind of viewing this through the lens of the single survivor girl, is it actually true? We're led to believe, yes, at least within the confines of this movie. Let's not even talk about the other two yet. But within the confines of this movie, it's not necessarily proven that all that even happened. Hmm. I mean, of course, it's just because of who you're looking at, you may have an unreliable narrator at this point, considering all the, the mental anguish she's gone through. But I don't know. I mean, that's fair. I also don't get the impression that the movie would build all that up and then have it have not happened. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. That That is totally fair. But like Blake said, it is quite a tonal shift uh, yeah. across the board. I mean, it, it keeps a lot of the hallmarks of the movie. So it's not like it's too out of left field. Like it still uses music to build to its tension a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's like areas get a lot more claustrophobic. It feels a lot more like, and I wouldn't know the actual genre for it, but it feels a lot more like a, um, what would you call like a a Michael Myers movie and, you know, all that stuff. Slasher? A slasher. It kind of, it it has a a very, it goes from what, like, you know, a more broad occult, all the, well, I don't know. It it kind of always has like an undertone of occultism to me. So I guess the change isn't that weird. There's a bunch of stuff that happens where it feels notably different, but I don't know that I think it feels wrong. But I'd love to hear your your take on that, Blake. Yeah, so I absolutely do not like any of the Dr. Satan stuff. <laughs> like, I think it's really cool in the beginning when they go through, like, the murder museum and all that stuff. But once they get lowered into the ground and, like, the really old people in bunny costumes come out of, like... The shadows and Doctor Satan's there, and you said the axe wielding guy's name is Professor. Uh, yeah. Okay, I don't know why I missed that. Like every time I watched, I didn't know he had a name. But um, yeah, I just felt like the tonal shift was really just not good. Every time I watched it, I think, man, this is such a great movie, great movie. And then I get to the end, and I absolutely don't like any of that stuff. Like, I think it's great for a different movie. Does that make sense? Like, it's not that it's poorly done. I just don't think it fits the rest of the movie at all. See, I, I really like the ending, but I actually completely agree with you where I like the ending because once the zombies showed up, I completely checked out of the movie. And that was the part where it was kind of like, okay, this is just funny. And this is just yeah. getting ridiculous. So that to me was like the pinnacle of, oh, this is getting ridiculous. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um I don't know because at the it kind of came off to me like watching this movie where if uh in the movie like i'll I'll use an example the movie the strangers Uh, i'll spoil that a little bit so skip ahead 30 seconds but (laughs) um those are just real people who end up being serial killers and it would be if that movie ended and those people were serial killers 
but there were also werewolves in the woods. So if they hadn't died to the serial killers, they would have died to the werewolves. <laughs> and I think okay. that's kind of the, the, that's why, that's why I checked out, but I can kind of see why you wouldn't like that either. If you really liked the family dynamic stuff, which, yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, the, the Mr. Satan thing to me is set up as like, he's a, he's essentially an extension of the family. You know, what they're doing is in, is his name almost. Yeah. It's like towards his goal. And I guess, I know it sounds weird. I wouldn't even call it supernatural as, as strange as it really is. It is super weird and hyper stylized and all that. But if you really think about it, I mean, it's not that different than what the hell, the, the murder ride kind of implies. It's like, he's a brilliant surgeon who has all these things going on, but he was very twisted in his practices and he wanted to have mental uh, patients kind of become an army for him, which is kind of exactly what he had going on. But didn't they say that was like a hundred years ago or something? Or am I, am I misremembering? It was definitely a long time ago, and I'm not going to sit there and argue and say that he's not like defying normal age or something like that, you know. Sure. Uh, but I'd say for the most part, it's not as ungrounded as it otherwise could be. Sure. Like even the little brackets and stuff he's using to support his arms, they actually look like feasible in real life. It doesn't look like incredibly sci-fi. It does have sci-fi design. It has like a what do you call that? Like gr- you know when like sci-fi has like a grunge element to it, where it's kind of mm. like Mad Max, where it's like uh, almost industrial in the yeah. you know in the in the way that it looks but I, I guess none of that feels again the way it's presented i think is very odd and it's meant to kind of change the tone of the movie but if you really think about any of it i don't think it goes any further than the rest of the movie does to i wouldn't even call them zombies it's like if you look at all of them it shows them it's it's a it's people who are just being pawns and experiments and i don't know i guess it just didn't bother me i mean I'm not saying it's the perfect ending. I just, it didn't bother me. It felt somehow fitting to me, but I, I mean, I also think another ending could have totally worked, but I also think that this, the fact that we're even talking about this as long as we have goes towards something that a lot of movies have a hard time figuring out, which is how do you kind of structure your final act? A lot of movies falter in the third act for a lot of people. It's really hard to end something. It just is. Yeah. So, see, I guess my thing is, I would have preferred, honestly, if the ending was just that Doctor Satan was an urban legend they created to get people to the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you totally could do that. But you know, I think the the big thing here that ends up happening, and of course, a, a minute ago I said you have to look at things within the context of the movie, which is fair. But when you go once out, once you're outside of that, and you do look at it, the context outside of what his future plans were he had a reason to want to make him uh, go. He had further plans that regardless of the context of that movie may later be contextualized in a way that makes sense in the next two movies. You know, I still agree with you that when you're viewing this as a singular thing, it, it may feel like it could have been done better. I don't even necessarily think it could have been done better. I just think I, I wish they did something else. <laughs> I think what they did was good. Yeah. Like I said, I think it was done well too. I just think it was, Done well for a different movie. <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest props I can really give to this movie more than anything, and I think it speaks to this ending, and even the fact that it may falter in its what in the purpose it otherwise should have had, is that this movie is incredibly ambitious for the yeah. first movie of somebody who's not even traditionally in the film. Absolutely. In, in, in the film industry. He does a lot in this movie, and he sets up a lot in this movie. And it's a pretty low-budget movie, and honestly, outside of a couple of things, I think that the movie holds up really well and Absolutely. really doesn't show its age or budget very much, very often. One of the only scenes that kind of just looks 
dated and stilted partially because of the way it was chosen to be shot but also for some of the effects is the scene when the uh when he's when professor swings the axe and breaks down the shaft and it kind of falls in on him some of it was a a weird choice of uh, overly slow-mo which was very popular at the time period and like the it falling and kind of looking a little janky but i mean overall i was really surprised at just how well the movie holds up from just a sheer practical effect standpoint and the way it's shot even though we're way past that it doesn't feel like, I don't know, it doesn't feel dated at all. Yeah, I agree. And I was also amazed by how well it was shot. Like, there are a ton of just gorgeous, like, shots and oh, just, like, man. the way it's framed, the way it's set up, the lighting. Yeah, man, that movie is very beautifully shot 95% of the time. Yeah. Which is just, again, wild for the first film from mm-hmm. somebody it, it goes into that talk of ambitiousness it's just it looks so good one of my like really standout scenes from just the way it was shot that i really loved uh it, it, well there's a lot of them as there's two that do this but the one i was wanting to talk about is whenever um the last surviving girl is going and she's entering into the underground catacomb uh mm-hmm. where where dr satan i guess is uh and there's that bone chandelier and I love the camera kind of like ducks down behind her to kind of give it like a forced perspective where it makes like the bone chandelier like seem more imposing and give it more weight within the shot. It's just cool as hell looking. I, I agree. I mean, the mix of the cinematography and also like all the props for stuff like that, like it was a, a fantastically well done for this kind of shit that's like, you know, not a thing that's like normal and i imagine they have to like hand make pretty much all of it to make it look the way they want like mm-hmm. it looked fantastic and that was a part where uh reading a little bit about this movie before watching it where i totally felt like i was seeing like the the haunted house designer aspect of rob zombie come into play where like the whole underground catacombs kind of vibe and up to like the dr satan thing almost felt like you know like a really high-end like immersive haunted house experience kind of thing yeah, so, you know, just to talk about a couple of the scenes that I really enjoyed, like I said earlier, the I think the entire scene with the cops was fantastic, with Mama Firefly talking to the older gentleman, and then the mm. dad and the younger cop out back, which, what's his name? Walter Goggins, right? The actor? I really Something enjoy like him that. and a lot of the stuff he's in. He's in Sons of Anarchy, which is a really good show. But Yeah, with that scene, and then the, um, basically all of, like, Otis's... Um, I guess speeches, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I always love when he's just like yelling at people who can't do anything but sit there and listen. <laughs> well, what I liked about those in particular, and that was one of the ones, because it also happens during the stand-up set that the uh, grandpa gives, is like the really kind of weird close-ups to them yeah at certain like and it has like a bunch of quick cuts and one of the things i love is like it feels like an uninterrupted scene from like the flow of conversation and everything and how well everything like all the lip syncing and stuff matches but i love the very quick cuts that suddenly have a completely different lighting where it's like it's blue and then it quick cuts and he's red for like two seconds yeah and then it quick cuts back and he's back to the blue it was just interesting i don't know why it goes back to that like the movie's so damn stylish yeah yeah and with this like with otis with the camera he was like pacing kind of in a semicircle around the girls in the chair i don't i don't remember her name um i'm really bad with all the names jerry is the only one i remember because (laughs) i looked it up (laughs) but uh (laughs) 
he's pacing like sideways in a semicircle around her and like the camera's moving with him and i don't know i just love everything about his speeches i guess i don't know he gave good speeches I mean, they're bad speeches, but <laughs> it was entertaining <laughs> to watch. <laughs> Good, bad Did, speeches. <laughs> yeah. Did um anyone else have any scenes they wanted to talk about? I think that's about it for me. Uh, I would quickly just shout out, uh, it's like one of the first scenes. It might be the first like actual scene where we're looking at the, the Captain Spaulding uh, neon sign and really slowly panning down like the top of the building to like the you know, just the main building area. And we start to see like the green lights from the, the covering of the gas station. And we kind of like, we see the little clown thing and uh, the dude leaning against the car. Like, I don't know, just that whole slow pan and just the way it was lit. It was super like, it it was hyper stylized, but it was done super well. I loved it. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Chris or Brett? Did y'all have any other scenes? Um, I guess the only scene I'll talk about, and I, I could be misremembering exactly how it happened, but I feel like there was that one scene that when Otis was killing the second cop, like just executing him, where it was just completely silent for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that my stream froze. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that scene because it kind of was a little tense. Did this break? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mentioned earlier. I think that might be my favorite scene of the whole movie is just that silence part. And I think I've probably seen this movie 10 times and every time I jump a little bit, every time he fires the gun. Because <laughs> you can never know when it's going to happen. Yeah, there's so much restraint in holding it for as long as he did. Yeah. And like the only thing that kind of gives you an indication that it, that the movie hasn't frozen, is because like you said, like... There's that crazy like upbeat song that's happening throughout all the rest of it, and then suddenly it's just silence and that super long scene. And it you'd think that it was frozen, but the only thing is it has like a slight pan out, like just yeah, slight. Yeah. It going super slow, and you're just kind of there, and you're like, like you said, I thought the same thing. I was like, you know, I remember this scene, but I don't remember it being this long. And I guess it's a testament to the movie because even if you've seen it, like you said, Blake, you just Something yeah. about the way it's done, it's like, you can't <laughs> guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, one more thing that always makes me laugh, pretty much every time I've seen it, is Baby when she's talking to the cheerleader, and she's like, you've done nothing to cheer me up this whole time you've been here. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of another little goofy part, uh, whenever the cops come in to uh, Dr. Captain Spaulding's and he's, uh, you know, he says all his crazy shit and then he comes out and, his, and suddenly he changes his tones. He's like, oh, gentlemen, what can I do for you? Yeah. And he's got the fucking shirt that says pigs is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why that just it 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 goes back to that like it fits the super iconic level of 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 performance, and it just goes into that character of Captain Spaulding to where it's just like I don't know it felt so much like him from the very little that we really get to see him in the movie. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, there were there were a lot of great shirts in this movie. I loved uh, Tiny wearing the half-assed Halloween costume shirt (laughs) as he was coming down the stairs. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So I do have a question because it's something that, and I think Blake is probably going to be the one to uh, answer it more than anything. This is just a general thing that I noticed that the movie was doing. The 
split screen setup that was happening a lot and then it would occasionally do the double where they'd be like mirrored on each other and yeah. they'd be going in you'd see double is that like a is that a common thing in older horror like is that a tie back is that like a callback to like classic horror because i know rob zombie's big into very classic horror of which i've seen very little you know i didn't know if that was like a, a an editing choice to give callback to things he liked or if it was just another very odd but stylistic choice that he chose and i was like I, you know was there a purpose for this outside of just 100 percent style yeah hmm. you know i guess the older horror movies that i've seen i haven't really noticed much of that so i wonder if it's more of a music video thing because i've never been big into the music video stuff you know i would when I was younger, when they actually showed music videos and stuff, I would turn it on, but more just listen to it than watch it. So, because I sure. know Zombie, he directed all of their music videos. I'm pretty sure before making I, this. So yeah, and that's what got him interested. Yeah, yeah, which I think is a lot of the parts of you know the weird cuts that he has, where it just shows like baby dancing naked with skeletons or whatever the fuck is going on in those things <laughs> and like the weird color filters you know i'm glad yeah. you brought that up because we, we've been making jokes about dwight and all this one of the most interesting things about those to me like i i, I consider them like the way i typed it into my notes was like strange vcr recorded tv <laughs> interstitials where it's just like yeah <laughs> they just throw it in but the weird thing about it is like i don't know if this was I mean, clearly it was intentional, but I don't know if this was what it was trying to go for. Is it had like the kind of documentary style talking head interview uh, sections of like The Office and Parks and Rec when a scene happens and then they cut in a, a, a like individual conversation where you see somebody and it's just like their uh, mid waist and up to their shoulders and head. Um, yeah. And I kind of got that vibe whenever it cut out to Otis and Otis was giving his little, you know, speech about the, like, it was just like a random interview like, and it was with that weird tonal and everything. It was like pulling out to that. And I was like, what a weird choice for a horror movie, Yeah, but it's super memorable because of it. And it, it, the whole, all of that, like the little, like you talked about, like the dancing her and laughing, it seemed like a lot of it was kind of like to do the same thing of a documentary where midway through a scene they'll cut to something that kind of is meant to give you more context as to how that character is that's what it seemed like a lot of that was like we're going to cut to this weird thing that kind of just is meant to show you like with baby it's like well this is meant to show you that she's kind of unhinged if you didn't already guess that right and we're going to keep pushing that with each thing i don't know it was very very stylish and i loved it so you brought up the the talking heads thing from the office and now all i'm thinking about is if there had been a cut like before you find out his what happened to him or right after you find out he's a fish man and it's just Rain Wilson as Dwight and he's just like, I would never be turned into a fish. <laughs> fish have no defense mechanisms at all. If I was, if I was going to be turned into any animal, I would be turned into a cheetah. Or at least I could have escaped that situation and gotten the police or eaten them all. Yeah, that would have been interesting. It's like, you know, if you could look forward and know that the office was going to end up utilizing that kind of <laughs> let's throw yeah. in something real. You, you know you know we were talking that, that would be one of those fun edits to throw together for youtube <laughs> yeah yes exactly i think what brett said made me think of where we both thought of the office obviously because he was talking about the office but the um it's just like a series of the firefly family like a documentary and there's just like talking heads every now and then of like otis like just ranting for five minutes <laughs> yes <laughs> I don't know. I'd watch that shit for sure. <laughs> Honestly, same. I, I think we should approach Rob Zombie. <laughs> so I don't really have a whole lot more to say about this movie. Does anyone else have anything to add? You know, Brett or Joshua? 
I, I actually, I, I want to make a point of this. Uh, dude, shout out to the soundtrack. I mean, Rob Zombie's always obviously done a lot of really cool music. And uh, I, I think this movie has a really cool mixture of what we know to expect from him and a lot of very like John Carpenter-esque like synth and guitar feedback and more like ambient stuff. And while Rob Zombie's music isn't subtle at all, it's I think really tastefully used here. Like it, it never feels like it's like overpowering or just making it feel like, you know, like cheesy or like I'm laughing at it or anything. If anything, it contributes to that kind of like almost music video stylization that I feel throughout this movie. So I mm-hmm. just, I love the use of music throughout. Yeah. That was going to be my last note as well. Cause we hadn't touched on that yet is, I mean, I think the, the whole soundtrack, like he mentions, but I think that there is a lot of, again, I was so surprised that from his first movie, the score is so spot on. Like when it's, when it's nothing to do with the actual songs going, but just the actual score, mm-hmm they use music to build the most crazy tension in that movie and it works so effectively. Yeah. It just, again, it's one of those things that surprises me from someone who was such an amateur coming into this. Like, I don't know that I've seen very many movies that were as impressive as this, as your first try. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I agree with, especially with Josh, where he said, you know, it doesn't feel like he's tooting his own horn with his music. You know what I mean? He's also saving a ton in yeah. licensing fees. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. It's how he stuck under that $7 million budget. <laughs> but we have enough money for one Ramon song. Okay, fine. <laughs> and we're going to cover Brick House. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Did you have anything to add before we close it out? No, I mean, I don't know. I think it's going to let the audience in on my psyche a little bit, but I really loved that scene with at the end of the party with baby. Cause whew, baby was my favorite character in that whole movie. Outside of the fact that <laughs> she had one of the most annoying voices of all time. I was a, I was, I was simping for baby. Oh, I tell you, boy, I get you. I was, I was like, man, I like, you know, I, I don't know how I don't remember. Like, I, I know, I knew she was at least attractive. I was like, I was a teenager when I first watched this movie. How can I not remember that I must have been drooling? You know, <laughs> hormones were high. But my whole thing, and it's really bad, but like, the crazier she got in that movie, the more, the more sexy, sexy oh she my got. God, you're so hot. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's like, I don't even care. You can slit my throat at the end of the night. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just picturing that Vince McMahon gif of like him like reacting and getting all like yeah. sweaty. <laughs> That's basically exactly what it was. We're at the point where she's stabbing a jealous bitch. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) I gotta go to bed. Like, I wish I was the one underneath you. (laughs) But no, even early in the movie, like, you know, when she first gets in the car, they're like, you know, she's clearly attractive, but it's not much. But then whenever she gets back to the house, uh, with Billy and and she's just wearing the pajama shorts that are not fully covering her ass. And she's wearing like the shirt that's just split and you can almost see her boobs. I'm like, Damn. And then she dips her finger in the hot chocolate. I was like, this is clearly meant, uh, you know, well, they know what they're doing here. They know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't sway, change the sweat. You did this so that okay. men who watch this with their wives get in trouble. That's the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I did have one final question, and I guess y'all kind of already answered it. But I, if you were in the situation of like the college kids or whatever, who would you be more scared of like being in the room with? is either Otis or baby. Cause they're like terrifying in different ways. Mm. Put, put me in a room, put me in a room with baby any given day. 
like standing away from the situation like we are watching it yeah like we're attracted to baby or whatever but being in the situation where you're legitimately terrified for your life and this person is just hysterically laughing while stabbing you i think that might be more terrifying than the guy preaching like weird libertarian shit at you (laughs) (laughs) i don't know man i've heard you say some pretty big stuff about people who go out and preach libertarian stuff so I won't name names, but listen, I will say this. It's funny that you asked that question because there was a point in the movie, much to Chris's point, <laughs> there was a point in the movie where Baby was sitting there doing her stuff and I was like, oh, whenever she was uh, in the room with a guy and like uh, cutting his scalp and cutting his hair off and stuff, oh, yeah. when that was all going down, I was like, you know, like he's over here freaking out and being like, yeah. and of course, that's what you think you'd do, but I was like, I wonder genuinely, and like in that situation, how would I be able to like overcome my natural male instinct, my, my natural male instinct of being like, <laughs> Hey, let's let's cut the shit and let's do the, let's do, let's do the dirty. Come on, girl. Like, I wonder if with everything going on, like, could I actually be more worried about my health than just being like, <laughs> by the way, I'm super thirsty and we're in a very, <laughs> do you think her tone would change? Well, see, that's my thing. I was like, you know, she's acting the way she is because he's clearly giving in to her, right? Like right. He's giving in to what she wants from, or what what you think she would want from him, which is like terror and fear and like begging and pleading. But what if he would have just turned all that off and was like, listen, I sense an attraction. <laughs> let's not, let's not to pretend this, let's not pretend to, let's not ignore this anymore. Let's get this thing going, baby. Like you and I have sparks. She might just fucking slit your throat. (laughs) For a real answer to your question, my answer would be Otis because I think... Turned into a squid. (laughs) Yeah, but I think he's significantly more um, sadistic than she is. I think she just likes killing people where he likes hurting people and that's a big difference, I think. Honestly, here's the thing. Hey, man, that blood, it's forever. (laughs) That blood is forever. I think the best way for me to answer this (laughs) is that it depends on when I got locked in a room with one of them. That kind of makes it the hard point. Like, if I had watched Otis cut this girl's father's face off, go into her face and just like mind fuck her, I would be like, please don't put me in a room with him. <laughs> I don't. I know that sounds crazy, but I'd like, I'd rather you just hurt me in a physical way that I can anticipate the way it will feel, yeah. rather than rather than the endless, vast ability to completely fuck with someone's psyche. Yeah, that mm. was like uh, the one scene that like made me uncomfortable in like a oh, that's really not cool kind of way. You know, like tiny <laughs> eating dog food was gross. <laughs> But that was one of those things watching that, and I'm like, oh no. Like, as he's coming down the stairs, I'm like, oh fuck, yeah. I don't want to see this happen. <laughs> I like how we keep referring to it as dog food. Like, we're not going to change that at all. We should edit it to like some kind of like kibbles and bits or some shit. He was eating Walmart brand Purina. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else, though. I'm good on scenes personally. Well, I guess we can move on to, Chris, your choice for our movie for next week's podcast. Don't we need to rate this movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess we do need to rate it. My bad. So I guess we could go to Chris, since I already said your name. Uh, out of five, how many stars do you give this one? Um, on my letterbox, I gave it a two star, so I'm going to stick with a two star. But I also think it's a four star movie at the same time. Oh, shit. Hmm. So we all loved it. No, I, I did not <laughs> like it at all. But it's 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 good for what it is. So I would have to say, like, 
in a like a taking myself out of it a little bit in a more objective view i would say it's a four-star movie but like i i don't yeah. want to ever see it again so what about you joshua how many stars out of five would you give it ah shit i had my initial idea of it but there's some stuff that i feel like might kind of boost it a little so okay it. I, I, i'm actually i was initially thinking three and a half but i'm gonna go four because the stuff it does well it does really well hell yeah so josh even better question what's that being the way that you are and not normally watching movies like this how likely would you be to watch this movie again it's a good question uh i this one in particular honestly like i enjoyed like i, I would give it time so it wasn't like super fresh but i would totally mm-hmm. rewatch it that's awesome i'm glad you watched it man it makes me really excited <laughs> yeah plot twist yeah. of the century was that josh liked this movie <laughs> I, I was legitimately waiting for him to like come into the chat before we started recording and be like you guys have made me suffer <laughs> <laughs> no I, I will not be watching the hills have eyes <laughs> my pick for next week is the hills have eyes <laughs> what about you brett out of five how many do you give it Man, there's so much of me that wants to give it a five out of five. <laughs> I fucking knew you were gonna say that. But, <laughs> but just to be that person who steps back and just uh, there, I don't know what it is. There's something about amateuristic approaches to new things that have so much charm and so much unique style and stuff to them that it's hard for me to not just want it. It's how I am with games. It's like the original Nier is not a perfect game, but it is a perfect game. I don't know how to describe it other than that. It's like sure, I don't. So it's the same with this movie. It's like, I'm not saying there isn't stuff that can be improved, but I'm so hard pressed to care because it's so fucking well done. It's like, this is the perfect example of you can't look at it, separate it all out. It's, It's about how it all comes together. And this movie just kills it when it all comes together. But just to give it a little bit of a knockoff because of the not addressing the, how he knew he was the father situation. That's going to be my (laughs) weird sticking point. I'm going to give it a four and a half. You son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're kind of saying like almost the same as like, oh, I really like this amateur porn in 480p, but if it was <laughs> and I didn't get 4K, I'm not happy. Hey, different expectations. That is the strangest. I don't understand that, that analogy. <laughs> I am so confused. Because you were saying you like the more amateurish view. I'm just saying, like, if it was a more professional thing, you would have been upset. If it wasn't, I think the better analogy would be a porn where they're like, her pipes weren't even broken. Why is the plumber here? (laughs) (laughs) I know this sounds dumb. I actually am a stickler for storylines and porn. I need I need to know why the events are happening, and they need to be legitimate, or they need to be legitimate. So if let's let's give your situation right, the pipe situation. If the pipes are not actually broken, it needs to be because the woman who called the plumber in was just looking for some dick, and she just came up with an explanation as to why she needed a guy over. You know, I'm real simple. I just want the story to make sense by the end of the day. It's my fa- absolute favorite. And I've watched the intro multiple times. The actual porn is really bad. But <laughs> it's, it's this, this woman is pretending to be a TSA agent. And they're interviewing this guy. And she goes up to him and she slams her hands on the table. And she's like, you're transporting big dicks, aren't you? <laughs> you're crossing the border with a big cock. 
<laughs> and the guy's like, yes, I am. You caught me. This is the most fitting conversation to have with this movie. I don't even know how to describe it. The best part of the video is that there's another dude, an accomplice, who's this gigantic <laughs> fat black dude. And he's just watching. <laughs> okay so since we're here i just i have to continue on with with crazy stories right this will be the last thing i have to say and then we can go on i love that because I, it's so dumb that we care so one of my favorite storylines in a porn is th- there's a there's a guy who's sitting on his couch not here's a knock on his door it's a girl and she's like, hey, you should come to our church. And so he invites her in, and he's like, yeah, hey, you know, church isn't really my thing. And she's like, well, you know, I'll do anything to get you to go to church, you know, the good Lord, whatever. And then he's like, so you'll do anything? And like he eventually goads her. <laughs> Hold on. He eventually goads her into doing all this crazy shit. And then like at the end, like, you know, he, <laughs> he goes on, he's like, uh, he says this thing, and then the giant plot twist of it all, it's just like the M. Night Shyamalan of porns, is that it was his wife the whole time, and they were role-playing. <laughs> I don't know why. I fucking love it. Every time I'm like, this is this is the height of porno storytelling. You have oh done God. it, good sir. You have you are the Kojima of porn <laughs> storylines. I have one problem. You know, the new landscape of porn is super weird. Like It's all stepbrother stuff, right? But... I will say there was one. Uh, there's one genre of stepbrother and you know, step family porn, which I find super funny. And it's the I got stuck under the bed, so I fucked my mother. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't make any logical sense. <laughs> like, she can't get the bed frame, so you fucked your mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the worst part about it is you can always tell that there's ample space. How much of this are we going to edit out? <laughs> because, but the thing is, that they'll like arch their back up higher. So I'm like, listen, if you can arch your ass up this much, you can get out of this tight space that is allowing your stepchild to. <laughs> are we going to edit any of this out? <laughs> no, yes, all of, all of it. <laughs> I'm all of this. No, exactly. we're editing it all out. <laughs> I mean, my grandmother won't listen to this episode, so it's fine. It's only me and Brett. You guys are good Christian boys. It's fine. We're the heathens. Listen, I'll stop because apparently Blake is upset, but I had more to say. I was joking. To me, to me this is the episode to put this on because this movie, this is like the most fitting thing. You're already talking about a crazy-ass movie. Why not talk about all this shit? But we've lost the forest for the trees for damn sure. Um, so okay I guess uh, we need to know what movie so real quick I give it a four and a half out of five as well (laughs) (laughs) but no the only reason I don't give it a five is because of the ending we've already talked about it so I don't need to go on and on about it but did enjoy the ending has anyone done a porn shoot that's like a movie podcast (laughs) <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? I will. I will do solo episodes, <laughs> figuratively I and literally. Hope they would be solo. <laughs> you know how they do movie and episode watch along podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> it's a companion podcast for porn. <laughs> this week we're watching Twilight XXX. <laughs> oh my god! This week we're watching the smashing oh of the thighs. <laughs> <laughs> this week we're watching House of a Thousand Whores. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, 
Oh man. Oh shit. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, Chris, I love what's you. What's your movie for next week? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I've been debating back and forth, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you guys. I have three movies in mind. Pick one. Go. I'm going to pick one, but here's first the one. Go to mind. Go. Would you guys list. be shut up, Blake? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna pitch you up now. <laughs> anyway, um, would you guys be interested in a movie that I find entertaining, but the movie is bad? Or would you like <laughs> no. to watch a good movie? Shut up, Blake. A good movie. Okay, so next week we're gonna watch Countdown. Oh my god, it's the opposite of what I said. That's because I <laughs> in a, but I actually think the conversation should be really fun. It's a, it's a, I thought it was entertaining, but it's no, I'm down to watch it. I've actually wanted to see it. Yeah. So we're so going to watch isn't 2020 it? classic countdown. I'm actually interested in this too. So yeah, we might like it. What it's is fun. this? Isn't this like a horror movie? It's the one. Yeah. It's the movie where yeah. they download a phone app and it tells them when they're going to die. Oh, that's right. How much it's time they have It's kind of like left. the Justin Timberlake yeah. movie. Oh yes. yeah, kind of. In time, where he they had the time left on their life, like tattooed on their arm. Oh, the Not LED tattoo, tattoos. He kept counting down. Yeah, yeah. Now, for clarity, we are talking about the 2019 film and not the 22016 WWE Studios film. Yes, but <laughs> if you want, both. if you want, We're you can watch the, the WWE one <laughs> and see how much you can actually get in the conversation. Sure. That would be very interesting. <laughs> can I can mean, one of us watch can, can one of us watch the WWE one and come into the conversation <laughs> and just try and make it work? Like yeah, you know, Dolph Ziggler was really interesting in, in this movie. <laughs> Kane is really coming into his own as an actor. Hey, y'all are joking. But See No Evil is a WWE film with Kane, and it's really fucking good. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't shitting on the WWE, which, I mean, to be fair, I actually do do that often. But, <laughs> I mean, in this particular case, I wasn't shitting on them. I just thought I, it would be really funny be. to come in and have... I would love for like an April Fool's episode one time for us to do it, so where it's like one of us comes in talking about a completely different movie of the same name. <laughs> well, you ruined the surprise. We're on air right now. We can edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted room with Brie Larson, not the room. <laughs> the room's on my list, but it seems a little uh, typical. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see. I'm excited. I think this is going to be one of those episodes that's actually really fucking funny because <laughs> the movie's not good. Not bad. Yeah, no, Again, I'm down for it. Watch the movie because it's it's entertaining. Me and my mom watched it together and we were like, both the whole time like, what the fuck's going on? But <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching it with you guys. I'm looking forward to shitting on it with you guys. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. One yeah, one other absolutely. idea I have is I actually would love to do it to where one day we get together in just a Discord open call and uh, maybe a little bit down the line and when we uh, have a little bit more people listening and, and actually try and do it to where we watch one of the movies all together. Oh, definitely. That'd well, there's cool. actually a um, Netflix party add-on for Chrome, an extension, mm-hmm. yeah. where it opens up a chat room on the side of your screen and one person, the like I guess the head of the party, whatever, controls the movie, so you can pause or stop it whenever you need to. Sure, nice. Yeah, it works pretty good. So I guess that leaves us with Brett. 
leading us out all right well guys uh i hope you have survived this very interesting episode <laughs> uh, it went a little off rails but you know what i think it went off rails in the exact direction and anybody who's a fan of uh rob zombie's work would probably be willing to listen through uh with that said uh if you like the show and this is your first time listening you can catch us on any of the podcast services be it itunes google play music or spotify if you're listening on itunes and you have a minute and you really enjoy the show we'd love it if you would give us a review let us know what you do and don't like about the show which helps us know what to look at and, and potentially change and also lets other people know whether the show is worth their time uh, if you want to find us on social media and interact with us in any way then you can head over to twitter at matinee underscore midweek or you can go over to facebook which is midweek matinee uh, where we post and Lastly, you can find us on Patreon where you can support the show for as little as a dollar per month and actually get the episodes a week early, uh, as well as other exclusive content that uh, are not exclusive, I should say, but sometimes timed exclusive content uh, that Patreon has to offer, as well as shout outs at the end of every episode, which we will now be getting into. So thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Thanks to our patrons, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan. Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villalobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, and El Chabib. Thank you so much. 